Welcome to the fucking show. And sorry, I know you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Uh, how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to episode 98 of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. On this episode, we have a mail sack, the return of the mail sack after excluding it from last week's episode. And we go and we talk a little bit about week one, the wild card round in the NFL playoffs before we get into a preview and some predictions for uh, the divisional round, week two of the NFL playoffs. Then we are going to wrap up this week's episode of the sack with a little preview view of the bigger matchups in college basketball for this coming week. So without further ado, let's get right into the listener questions on the mail sack. The first question from this week's mail sack comes from Kyle Oliver, who asks, is Kentucky football a legitimate threat to win the East in football next year. So looking at the SEC East, you have Georgia, the reigning national champions. You have Florida, who have pretty much dominated the East within the last couple years. Then you have Kentucky, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. Kentucky probably near that top second tier um, in recent years. I think... Going to Florida is going to be a tough matchup, um, especially in Napier's first year down there. I do think Florida is going to be pretty improved in his first year. Um, winning that obviously helps Kentucky's chances a ton. Georgia's going to bring back a lot of talent. They are going to lose some talent to the NFL, obviously. But I think even with how Kirby recruits, the guys they do lose – sitting right behind those guys are four and five stars that Georgia game is in Lexington this year so that is a bright spot there if Kentucky continues to just do what they've been doing and they beat the teams that they're supposed to then yeah they have a decent chance to win the east almost every year just because they're gonna need an upset of a Georgia, one of those years to do it. Florida, the last couple years, has been sort of a toss-up game. We saw last year they were able to get the victory in Lexington. Going to Florida is a little concerning, as I said, this time this year. South Carolina is getting a lot of buzz with Rattler coming in and how they're expected to maybe take a leap in their second year under their new head coach. So it'll be interesting to see. I still would say Georgia and Florida are like the one and two. I would say Georgia is an elevated, like far and above and away, the best team in the East. And then Florida, I would still have comfortably second and like Kentucky and Florida close. But I just don't foresee anybody upending Georgia as the winner of the SEC East um, this coming year. Um, Kentucky, talking about Kentucky though, Obviously, they bring back Levis. They bring back Rodriguez. They lose Wondell. It's going to be interesting to see how the wide receiver room is capable and hopefully able to step up and replace Wondell's um, 
production from this last year. They're bringing in uh, a transfer from Virginia Tech that was pretty good. They have some guys already on the roster. They bring in a talented receiver, uh, Baron Brown, or whatever you say his name, I believe, um, as well. So it'll be interesting to see how the wide receivers are able to step up and maybe help this team. Uh, The secondary as well questionable at times last year it's going to be interesting to see what Stoops is able to do through the portal uh, and if some guys younger guys on that roster can step up given some playing time but ultimately I do think that uh, Kentucky is probably in for another year like they were this year like a solid 10 win season 9 to 10 wins Um, you beat the teams you're supposed to and then in the toss-up games like the Floridas from last year, you go and win. Uh, but I just don't see them contending for the SEC East next year. Our next question comes from Emily Lucasio. Ask, how do you feel about KFC's new plant-based chicken? I am all for it. Uh, obviously, marketing ploy, trying to get more people in the door for KFC to try their products. But uh, I feel like if you throw those original seven herbs and spices on just about anything, it's going to taste pretty good, um, even this plant-based chicken. I don't know if I'm ever going to personally try it, but uh, hats off to KFC for trying something new and different. Our next question comes from Jake Madley, who asks, what is your favorite and least favorite golf club in your bag and why? My least favorite is my three wood, but I have come to a new mindset about how to approach hitting the three wood. Um, the three wood for me is just, I, probably most amateurs, uh, especially high handicapped amateurs like myself, is probably the hardest club to hit. Um, for myself, though, I'm going to approach the every opportunity that I get to hit my three wood as just that. It's a opportunity um, to get better using it. I am going to try and make that a weapon this year or a comfortable that I am at least decent at or I don't have regrets playing out where I'm not I where I have the yardage, I look at it and I go, well this is a three wood shot. Like let's see how this goes. No, it's I'm going to try and get to the point using that golf club where it's like, all right, we know where the miss is going to happen. We know what the like ceiling of the shot is and we know what the floor. Let's just see like let's see what happens. That's the goal with that um this year. My favorite clubs uh in the past it was the 7 and the 5 iron. I got new clubs last year and the 8 and the pitching wedge have really become um, some clubs that I can attack the ball with, and I feel really good when I pull one of those clubs because I feel like I can uh, go after those a little bit more, and they sort of tend to be the best shots that I do hit with those two. Um, It is hard sometimes getting in that range, uh, the yardage range for those, but uh, I will say I've – kind of defaulted onto using the pitching wedge a little bit because I had mentioned I got the new clubs last year and that came with a 54, a 58, a gap wedge already adding to my pitching wedge and the 56 I already had. So I've got a lot of wedges right now that um, even through last year I wasn't able to really discern what club to hit for each yardage. I had a general understanding. I'm still working through that. So sort of fell back on the pitching wedge a little bit at times um, and became very comfortable with that. And again, the 8-iron, I feel extremely comfortable with that. But I am excited um, 
for the new mindset and outlook on my three wood this year. I can't wait to get uh, on the range when it warms up a little bit more and really turning that club into not a liability, but something that uh, I can use and help me better my rounds. Our next question comes from Trent Revelette, who asks, how are you living? Trent, I am living well. Um, just a lot of new things in the new year. We have the new year. We have the new job. I am moving into a new house with one of my good friends um, on Monday. Yeah, well, yeah, on Monday will be one of the days we're using this whole next week, the 25th through the 31st, to get moved in. But uh, good. I'm living well, as far as I can tell. Just a lot of newness um, in the new year. Our next question comes from Polly Marino, who asks, Does Tom Brady even know who Matthew Stafford is? You would like to think so. Um, I've had this conversation privately with Polly um, this past week. Uh, Her hate for the Los Angeles Rams and mostly Matthew Stafford because he has come in and done a just much better job than what Jared Goff did as the Rams quarterback uh, statistically wise is uh, and record wise besides that one year Goff took them to the Super Bowl and then sucked in the Super Bowl Um, it's getting a bit old it's a bit she's doing uh, but Going back, these two teams have already played this year, and in that game, Matthew Stafford uh, threw for 343 yards and four touchdowns. So let's just say Brady didn't know him before that game. He did, um, I'm almost certain. But uh, after you go and you put up 340 yards and four touchdowns, yeah, I bet you Tom Brady knows who the fuck uh, Matthew Stafford is. So moving on from that, uh, Jack Muldoon has a question, and he asks, when do the Browns move on from Baker? If you believe Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski, uh, that question is still a little unsure. If you do believe them, the most likely timeline, is he, if he does continue to struggle, is this next year. Um, but, as I said, that's if you believe Stefanski and Andrew Barry. They came out and said, we are committed to Baker as our quarterback for the next year, but it will be interesting to see if guys become available via trade or through the draft or something that maybe piques their interest and they go out and they make that trade and then they go get them. I, I don't know. Personally, I do think Baker comes back and is the quarterback and he gets that last year, but a ton of the fans are in the camp of, like, let's just move on, let's get rid of him. And the guys that they want to replace him with – are not doing really anything for me. Uh, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins, PU. Um, I don't want any of those three, but uh, I'm sure if they got one of those, I would talk myself into one of them, but I do not want any of those guys compared to Baker. Uh, that's just me personally. So timeline-wise, I would say Baker has this next year, obviously, as I've said in the past. And what I would do... Um, even halfway through this year when he was struggling. You give him this next year. You give him some weapons offensively um, in free agency and through the draft. And, you pretty and like, he's going to know it. You all are going to know it. But you need to flat out just say it. Like, this is your make-or-break year. You either go and you ball out and you get us back to the playoffs and you build on what we were doing from two years ago or you're gone. And I think Baker knows that. The front office knows that. So that's how we approach it. I'm thinking if he is to leave, it'll be after next year, but 
I personally don't want him to leave just yet. Uh, our next set. Oh yeah, our next question comes from Chris Amstutz, who asks, "Am I entitled to compensation for entering your bowl picks to my work pool and finishing last?" Uh, Chris, I'm glad you brought that up. A few things here. If I were to set the standard and set this precedent of compensation for any bad picks that I give out, um, then where do I draw that line? Where do I stop? Um, Say Joe Schmo over here because I give out last week. Say I gave out the Eagles over the Buccaneers. I didn't. I picked the Buccaneers to win, but let's for hypothetical purposes, I say the Eagles. He goes out and he puts $1,000 on that, and they lose terribly. Just because I said it doesn't mean you need to go and do it. What I can offer you, Chris, is a sincere, a sincere apology from the bottom of my heart. When I give out picks on here, I do not do it in the intention to lose. I can guarantee you that. At the time of the recording, a lot of the bigger games that were occurring in the bowl season players had not officially opted out yet so hand up maybe going forward for next year's bowl season preview i will give it some time or i will go week by week in a bowl preview type thing but again i can't set that precedent to refund you uh your losses for whatever the buy-in was for this office pool or the pool you did for this but i can offer you my sincerest apologies and I will do that here. Um, I am sorry that I misled you on your pool for the bowl season, but I do want to point out um, I did get the college football playoff correct all three games. So uh, a little hat tip to me. We're uh, finding the silver lining and everything after a rough bowl season, admittedly uh, on my part. Our next two questions comes from Michael Bennett, who asks, how's your new job? As I mentioned in Trent's uh, answer on his mail sack question, and I had mentioned last week, I got a new job. It is the Mission First Charity Golf Tour. It is a charity golf tour, obviously, a nonprofit that takes place in Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio, South Carolina, and we are branching out, hopefully, into some other markets as well. I would ask you to please follow us on Facebook. It's Mission First uh, Golf on there. It's a great, great opportunity to help two great causes, the Warrior Battalion that helps suicidal veterans and the uh, V Foundation with Pediatric Cancer. I uh, like it so far. It's been challenging a little bit because there is a sort of lack of structure to what a day is. Um, and I've never done sales before, but I do look forward to, um, this season when things get ramped up and there are events and tournaments every year, every week, um, in this year. And I hope to see some of you all out there. If you have any questions about that, please reach out to me because I would love to see some of my friends, um, at at least one of the events this year. Um, our schedule for the locations and the dates of the events comes out sometime in February. You can check my Twitter, my Instagram, and my Facebook for all of that when that comes out. But the job right now, it's good. Um, Still adjusting a little bit, but I appreciate you asking, Mike. And then Mike's last question is, can you rank the most embarrassing losses of playoffs? The Cardinals, the Eagles, the Patriots. I don't think the Cardinals, uh, super embarrassing. Um, 
yes, they probably should have kept it closer, but I think given how well the Rams were playing at the end of the year and the Cardinals sort of having some hiccups there at the end and being without DeAndre Hopkins, a lot of people were thinking that, hey, maybe the Rams were going to win. The Eagles, I don't think you need to feel embarrassed. Mike, I know you are an Eagles fan as well. Don't need to feel embarrassed. They didn't beat a playoff team all year. Um, the beat up on the lesser teams. Tom Brady, the defending Super Bowl champions, you're going to Tampa Bay. Um, yes, it was frustrating probably to watch as an Eagles fan um, and seeing what Hurts was doing, forcing the ball at times. Um, I'm a Jalen Hurts fan. I think he can be a good quarterback in the NFL, but he just has to figure out how to stop turning the ball over. Um, I would say most likely probably the most embarrassing would be the Patriots because so many people were saying like, oh, this Belichick lore, Mac Jones, like he's going to turn it on. He's like, he's a rookie. He got his team to the playoffs. People thought the Patriots had an actual chance, but then to go and to lose like they did um, last week was extremely shocking. I did not see that coming at all. Um, the 47 to 17, and then at one point it being um, 27 to 0, um, shocking to say the least. But uh, I would say the Patriots, probably the most embarrassing loss. I don't know, you could say maybe the Cowboys, maybe not score wise, but just bonehead play wise uh, with McCarthy there at the end, but. I would still ultimately say the Patriots just because they thought they were going to have uh, an actual chance against the Bills, and then they just shit down their pants and nothing happens there. Our last question on this week's mail sack comes from Mary Andrews, who asks, thoughts on the MLB lockout clusterfuck? Well, she says cluster F, but I'll go ahead and say what she wanted to say, clusterfuck, and starting spring training on time. I think... Obviously, the lockout sucks. It hasn't impacted anything besides free agency so far. Um, Really, the deadline, I would say, opening day, you can't really fuck with that. That needs to be like something needs to be in place. I would say maybe a month before that opening day sitting around uh, March 1st. so February, excuse me, opening day is March 31st. So a month before that, February 28th is when spring training would hopefully start. Um, at this time right now, um, in the back half of January, there was a meeting that happened that didn't go super great um, recently. But I'm thinking as long as there can be a spring training with a month to go before opening day, then I think everything can still go as planned and everything. It'll be interesting to see the all the stipulations and what is agreed upon and who moves on what type of issues. It'll be interesting to see the COVID protocols and everything like that, the money share. Just a, There's a ton of stuff that needs to be worked out. Um, and it's, I would say probably honestly, it's not going to happen in that time frame, and opening day will have, there will be some effects, or if they are able to get done, it'll be like up to the last minute negotiation type things, so there is that window for the spring training, but I just think there's a ton of issues that need to go on and need to be addressed, and I think the owners and Manford and the players are just on 
totally different wavelengths on a lot of the key issues that it is going to probably eat into some of the actual season and that's going to suck because MLB fans are going to miss games players aren't going to be getting money Uh, it's an unfortunate situation but uh, if the players are serious about the money shares and the things that they want from this lockout then it would be very interesting to see if they actually go and they threaten to not um, go about and start the season on time and they risk losing that money but hopefully in the long term they end up getting the money that they actually do want and probably rightfully deserve but uh, those are just my quick little thoughts uh, summarizing they need to have something in place uh, at least by the end of February early March at the latest if they are going to continue on schedule to get opening day on the 31st of March um, actually happening and possible that is going to do it for the mail sack on this week's episode of Carson Sack once again as we wrap up the mail sack I would like to say A sincere thank you to everyone that sends in your questions. That segment is not possible without you all, so thank you all once again. We now shift focus to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. first game of the divisional round in the NFL playoffs happened Saturday, January 22nd at 4.30 as the Cincinnati Bengals coming off their victory against the Las Vegas Raiders last week head to the Tennessee Titans. In this game, I think Derrick Henry slated to be back, I believe. The final decision for that does come tomorrow, but Henry was able to, I think, pass the last hurdle of his test to get back to playing, um, did participate in contacted practice yesterday. I think that is massive for the Titans, not only in this game, but in the rest of the playoffs. Um, last week, Josh Jacobs was able to get 83 yards um, against the Bengals on 13 carries. A That's not like crazy numbers or anything like that, but there were times Jacobs was able to have some good, decent runs that I think with a back like Henry, those runs um, become bigger and more explosive and really can change the landscape of the game itself in the Titans' favor. I do like the head coaching matchup a ton for the Titans. Vrabel's been here. He's done this before, um, taking his team all the way to the AFC Championship before. Zach Taylor, at times, uh, the Bengals' success is... Like, in despite of Zach Taylor with his play calling at times and his decision making, um, it's just how good that's more of a testament to Joe Burrow and how good he runs that offense and how good that offense is. Um, I think Vrabel is going to uh, put on a masterclass coaching wise um, against Zach Taylor this week. I do think the Titans are going to lean on the run game, even if Henry is on a snap count or a run count. I still think that the other two backs that they have are fairly good. Um, Tannehill, I bet you they use Tannehill um, in some capacity um, with his legs. He might find the end zone um, on a designed like read option or something like that. Um, and as long as Tannehill isn't trying to force things, um, turning the ball over with the weapons they do have with Brown and Julio, I still feel confident enough in the Titans' offense that they can 
keep pace with the Bengals' offense at times, but I do think Tennessee's defense is going to not stifle Joe Burrow, but cause some issues with how that offense runs. Maybe try and limit and take out Jamar Chase. I know that's extremely easier said than done, uh, but if... I, and I understand T. Higgins and Boyd are still extremely valuable and good receivers, but um, if you're able to take out Chase, that you take away his number one guy in Burrow, then I feel a lot better about the Titans' chances in winning this game. So ultimately, I do have the Titans beating the Bengals, but it's going to be a good game. But ultimately, I think the defense for the Titans is able to make one or two plays here or there when they need to. And I think Vrabel uh, just coaches circles around Zach Taylor this weekend and the Titans move on. The second game on Saturday, we have the 49ers going up against the Packers. A rematch of a game that has already taken place this year. We talked about it before. The Packers escaping with a two-point victory, 30-28 to in Week 3. Um, in that game, Rodgers, two touchdowns, 261 yards. Uh, Garoppolo, 257 yards and two touchdowns. And then in this previous game, and what I think is going to be the matchup in this game, uh, Kittle went for 92 yards on seven catches. I think Kittle's going to have to have a big game. I think he's a extremely big matchup um, nightmare for the Packers right now. Yes, they have... The um, Jared Alexander on the outside, Zadarius Smith possibly coming coming back, Bakhtiari as well coming back as well. But I don't think there's anybody on the Packers that can guard uh, Kittle in open space. The 49ers are going to have to find ways to get him the ball. I think they're going to do a great job doing that. Shanahan and the way he gets playmakers the ball is second to none, one of the best in the NFL, if not the best. I expect Debo Samuel to probably have, again, a traditionally big game out of him just in some way or another, um, whether that's running the ball out of the backfield or catching the ball as a receiver that uh, he is slotted in as. Uh, the Packers, Rodgers 0-3 in the playoffs against the 49ers. Um, as I had mentioned, playing in Lambeau is the cold weather. It's supposed to be this massive like advantage. I believe they're 6-7 and seven since Favre retired at home in the playoffs, so not a ton of like huge home field advantage in those games played at Lambeau. Continuing to look at the previous game, though, uh, Green Bay was able to jump out to a 17-0 lead before um, San Francisco was able to make it 17-7, 17-14, and then ultimately uh, 28-27 before Aaron Rodgers led the Packers on a game-winning field goal drive. I do not expect to see a lead like that, um, a fast start for either of these teams, I think. A lot of people are saying that the 49ers are a matchup problem, if you will, for the Packers, especially if Bosa can come back. Um, I do like what the defense for the 49ers is able to do, um, get pressure and everything. Ultimately, I, I'm going to go with the Packers in this one. I do think it's going to come down again to the end uh, where – 
Aaron Rodgers is going to have to do some Aaron Rodgers type shit. And as much as that pains me to say, um, I do not like that whatsoever. I want the 49ers to win this game, but I will take the Packers to get this W and move on to the next round. Uh, Continuing on and looking at the divisional games on Sunday... Uh, the first game, the Rams and the Buccaneers, as I have previously stated, the Rams beat the Buccaneers earlier this year, and I think they're going to do it again. Um, we saw in that first game how the Rams were able to get after Kyler Murray and cause issues uh, for Kyler Murray and that Arizona offense. We saw that Worse, the best Offensive lineman for the Buccaneers is banged up. Even if he does play, he's going to be playing at not 100%. If Aaron Donald and Von Miller and the rest of that defensive line can get after Tom Brady with just four, and then you have Jalen Ramsey and the rest of the secondary back there making plays, um, I think it could be a long day for the Buccaneers. A big thing, obviously, as I said um, in the preview for last week's game for the Rams, is Matthew Safford not turning the ball over. Uh, looking at last week, he did did just that. Didn't turn the ball over. Um, went for <clears throat> 202 yards and two touchdowns. So nothing crazy there, but um, was able to pick apart the Cardinals defense at times. I understand this Buccaneers defense is probably better athlete-wise and player-wise than what the Cardinals are, um, but... You had Sony Michelle uh, come back 13 carries for 58 yards. Cooper Cup had a quiet game as well, um, given his standards. But um, Akers comes back as well, 17 carries for 55 yards. Sony Michelle, as I mentioned, 58 yards. If those guys can come, and even if they had Henderson back, even if they don't, um, if there can be a good, solid run game for Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay to lean back on and help set up that play action, then I think the Rams are in a good position, not only in this game, but for the rest of the playoffs. I am going to go with the Rams to beat the Buccaneers on Sunday and advance to the conference championship. And then... More than likely, what is the game of the weekend? The Bills go to the Chiefs. The Chiefs and the Bills both blowing out their first-round opponents. Uh, The Bills with the Patriots, as I talked about in the mail sack. And then the Chiefs in more than likely Ben Roethlisberger's final game, uh, maybe in his career, but for certain in Pittsburgh, they go and they hand the Steelers a loss to end their season. Um, Looking back at that past week, talking about um, the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes goes out and goes for five touchdowns, 404 yards. Did have a costly, at the time, interception, um, but I was really impressed with McKinnon out of the backfield for the Chiefs. He added a spark. Um, If Allaire isn't going to be back there, McKinnon seemed to be... um, Pretty versatile in that I used him, and he showed a lot of pop. Um, he's been plagued with injuries these last couple of years, but when he's played, he's looked good. Um, 12 carries for 61 yards. Um, and then receiving-wise, six catches for 81 yards. It was nice to see. Um, he was the second leading receiver for the team. Um, Travis Kelsey led the way with 108 yards. A prop bet that you can take. Every game until the Chiefs are out of this, which who knows how long that's going to be. Whatever Travis Kelsey's over yardage is, just fucking hammer that. Um, I do think it is going to be necessary um, for Patrick Mahomes. Maybe to not have a five-touchdown game again, but he is going to need to have a big game for these 
for his Chiefs to win. Obviously, we know that um, these this game's already happened this year. The Bills were able to win thirty-eight to twenty. It was at Arrowhead. Uh, Josh Allen went for three touchdowns. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, two interceptions in that game, and Josh Allen also ran for a touchdown and 59 yards. And Mahomes, as I'd said, uncharacteristically was the leading rusher for the Chiefs in that one. I don't know if you can really force like one of these two teams um, to not put up a good offensive um, performance in this game. I think both of the defenses are good, but I do think both of the defenses are like complementary pieces to that offensives, if that makes sense. Like these defenses can come and they can make plays, um, get stops when they need to, turnovers when they need to, but nobody is saying that these teams are winning because of their defenses. It's going to be whichever of these defenses um, can make the big enough play or slow down the offense of the opposing team just enough. Um, And I do think that the variety of ways that the Chiefs can attack you with guys out of the backfield is going to be a matchup problem for some of the backers with the Bills um, that I think, and I don't know who's going to guard Travis Kelsey. I think that is a two matchups there that Andrew Reid is going to use to exploit. Um, And if, Mahomes isn't turning the ball over, and I will say the Bills' defense is probably more um, well-built to get turnovers than what the Chiefs are. But if Mahomes isn't turning the ball over and that offense continues to click, even at 75% of what it did last week, I do like the Chiefs' chances in this. I am going to take the Chiefs to beat the Bills, but I think it's going to be an extremely close game. Um but I do have the Chiefs winning, and I do think Mahomes is probably going to have to do um, some play, some drive that um, is going to be added to his lore, um, like in his like greatest moments in his career. I think he's going to have to do something like that in this game to pull it off because I do think um, the Bills are going to be able to step and be right there with them step for step. Um, scoring-wise, but I do have the Chiefs ultimately winning this game and moving to the conference championship against the Titans. That is going to do it for the NFL discussion on this week's episode. Let's wrap that up and move to some previews of college basketball games this coming week. On Friday... January 21st, you have the Michigan State Spartans going to Wisconsin. Wisconsin, 8th in the country, Michigan State, 14. I'm going to take Michigan State in this one. Uh, Gabe Brown playing extremely well out of the forward position for Michigan State. Johnny Davis going at 22 points per game, leading the Badgers um, in scoring there. Wisconsin has run off a string of... A bunch of victories in a row. I think it does have to come to an end at some point. I think this is the game I will go with Michigan State. On Saturday, there's a ton of good matchups. Um, The big one around these parts, Kentucky, after escaping last night against Texas A&M, they head to number two, Auburn. I do think Auburn gets the win. Um, I think Kentucky a little frazzled at the moment, Um, and I do think 
there could be uh, some blueprints in mind that you can take that can stifle Kentucky's offense a little bit from that Texas A&M game. Um, Auburn implements those, and I think it's going to be probably the biggest raucous environment that Kentucky is going to play in this year. So I'm going to go with Auburn over Kentucky. Continuing down the line, Texas Tech going up against West Virginia. A sneaky good game there, but I will take Texas Tech. Um, LSU and Tennessee. Tennessee after getting blown out by UK last week. LSU after losing on Wednesday to um, Alabama. I'm going to take Tennessee in this one. Being at Tennessee, I think they are able to rebound um, and catch LSU, licking their wounds a little bit. So I'm going to go with the Volunteers in that one. On Monday, we have Texas Tech going to Kansas that's going to be a big game for Kansas before they go and they welcome in Kentucky. I do like Kansas in that, but I do think it is going to be a closer game. On Tuesday, um, Mississippi State comes to Kentucky. I think Kentucky, after loss to Auburn, um, comes back and gets a much-needed win um, against Mississippi State. Michigan State goes to Illinois. I'm going to go with Illinois in that one. Michigan State, if my predictions are correct, they come off the big win at Wisconsin. Um, Maybe they're not going to overlook Illinois, but I do think Illinois um, catches Michigan State there coming off the big win. Letdown game, Illinois gets the W there. Um, And then the nightcap on that, you have UCLA hosting Arizona. UCLA ninth in the country, Arizona number three in the country. Arizona has been a great team to watch a fun team to watch um i like arizona in this one particularly um with kokolo the rebounding down low i think he's going to be a bit of an issue for ucla i'm going to take arizona wednesday um some big yeast matchups uh providence and xavier 21 versus number 20 in the country there um i'm gonna go with xavier xavier is Quietly, I think, um, one of the better environments in the Big East to play in. Um, Providence has looked good this year, but I do think the home court advantage helps Xavier, and they do beat the Friars. And then on Thursday, swinging back around, Purdue, number four in the country, they go to Iowa. Purdue plays Indiana tonight. I can see Indiana winning that game. Iowa is a tough team, but I do think Purdue goes into Iowa and gets a victory. And then Ohio State, 19th in the country, goes to Minnesota. Minnesota, 10-5. and five. I'd be remiss without talking about Ohio State at least once on this podcast. So Ohio State goes to Minnesota um, on a funky court. I like their court. It's elevated. I like the color schemes they do. But Ohio State gets the victory. And we will look at games from January 28th and on um, on next week's episode. That is going to do it for episode 98 of Carson Sack Podcast. Before I get out of here, I do have to tell you to like, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. It helps me out tremendously, and it means a lot if you were to do um, any of those things on any of those sites. So thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to episode 98. Next week, uh, there will be a mail sack. There will be some conference championship previews, and we will look at some basketball stuff. So um, another outline of about what we got this week. Um, thank you for listening to Carson Sack, episode 98. And as we always end here on the sack, we will be seeing you.